everyone and welcome back to The Rose Room. My name is Sarah Fortunato, I'm from central New Jersey and I'll be joining the Lamont Bassoon Studio in the fall. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Lily and Lauren to review how the staff and students at Lamont put on a major opera performance season in the face of a pandemic. So if you guys wanted to introduce yourselves a little bit. My name is Lauren, uh, I'm going to be a senior this upcoming year and I'm pursuing a degree in vocal performance. Hi, my name is Lily. I just graduated with my master's in vocal performance, and I performed as the third lady in the Magic Flute. Pandemic aside for a second, tell me about your production of the Magic Flute and who you guys personified in your version. I was the third lady, which there are three ladies that kind of go through the entire performance. Um, They work for the Queen of the Night, and they're kind of her evil henchmen. And they are trying to convince Tamino, the main character, to, um, you know, do do what's wrong. And, you know, they're trying to trick Papageno, who's Tamino's friend. And, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're kind of manipulative. And that's kind of what my character does. I always imagined the three ladies to be like the three hyenas from The Lion King. Um, You're so right. uh, The spirits are the very opposite of the hyenas. If anything, they're more like Timon and Pumbaa. (laughs) That's what I was going to (laughs) say. But yeah, no, they're they're the complete opposite. They're there to save the day um, and to just make sure that um, everyone is safe and on the path that they were meant to be on. They're very interesting because they interfere a lot without interfering. So it's more of like suggestive interfering on their part. This rendition of the Magic Flute, we did it, we did a space, 60s space theme. Um, so a lot of people said that we looked like Xenons. <laughs> so we were little alien Xenons just trying to make sure everyone's having a good day and following their right path. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, when I watched the recording, I wasn't there, obviously, but um, when I watched the recording, for a second I was like, hmm, maybe this isn't the magic flute that is in my head, you know, in the usual repertoire. And it was so interesting seeing you guys in all these different costumes and the way um, you made it work with all the time differences, because I know that Lamont does this thing where you can't be in a room for longer than 45 minutes, that kind of thing. That's, they change it all the time. But yeah, I mean, I'm a wind player. So I spent this year witnessing and experiencing how difficult it is to put on these performances in a safe way. But can you guys explain what the specific concerns are with the opera performances in regards to like transmitting COVID and aerosols and stuff like that? So as opera singers, we are a lot more at risk for transmitting aerosols. Uh, We are, I would say, about as bad or maybe a little bit worse than your average woodwind, especially considering that we are literally trained to project as loud as we can. Uh, Opera singers are oftentimes unmiked, and so we are expected to project our sound, which also unfortunately means projecting our aerosols out into the world. So our university actually did a lot of extensive research and they came back with the 
with the rule of six feet apart if you are not a woodwind or a vocal student and 12 feet apart if you are a vocal or woodwind student. So that was (laughs) really difficult because at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were back in school in the fall, the rules weren't clearly, they weren't very clearly given to us. And so we didn't necessarily completely understand that we had to be 12 feet apart anytime we were singing. So Lauren and I are actually also in the Lamont Choir and or in the Lamont Chorale. And at first we were about, I'd say six to eight feet apart. And then we were told that we had to be 12 feet apart at all times. And that changed everything. It is impossible to hear anyone around you. It is very strange. The timing is really strange. As singers, we kind of fall on a crutch of listening instead of necessarily watching or counting. And so oftentimes we become less independent musicians. However, due to this pandemic, I don't know, I can't speak for Lauren, but I know for myself, I've become a much better musician and much, much more independent on my own music. You know, for the Magic Flute, I was able to sing my part without hearing the other ladies. And we sing as a trio at all times. Same with Lauren's part, actually. They're they're a trio as well. We sing all at the same time, rarely on our own. And I was able to sing my part by myself with no piano whatsoever, which I don't necessarily think was something I could have done maybe a year ago. I think for me, um, I have a background in um, instrumental music as well. So as far as um, paying more attention to the conductor and relying on the conductor instead of just relying on sound, I have some experience in that. It's been a while and I I really should try and get back into it because it's super fun. But Um, but yeah, it was definitely just, it was incredibly independent and you just had to know your own part. You couldn't, you know, bounce off of other people. Um, cause that's what harmonizing is. You know, you, you, when you harmonize with someone, which is what Lillian, my part was, was just harmonizing the entire time. Um, you're, you know, kind of seeing how your note fits in with the chord. Um, and there was none of that. And that was really tricky, especially, uh, Going back, I know we're talking about opera, but going back to choir, there's a lot of crunchy chords that we had to sing. And Mozart, he's not super um, ambitious or I'm trying to find the word, but courageous with his crazy harmonies. It's usually just, you know, simple triads. Um, But in choir, it's a lot harder because there's a lot of crunch. And it's like, I could very well be singing the wrong note right now. And I have no idea. Let's hope for the best. Um, but at the same time, I think a good thing that's come out of this is that you have to be independent. You know, it's like a good thing and a bad thing that you have to be independent. Um, so yeah, definitely strengthening the musicianship one, but also becoming more confident, um, in your voice and not being timid and not being scared that you're singing the wrong note or anything because, you know, you're just never going to know. So you just have to sing and hope for the best. And I think that's been, um, kind of a small benefit that's come out of this, pandemic yeah I completely understand the listening and the distance thing um when sitting in an orchestra it's impossible when you can only hear yourself in this little bubble um but yeah I mean what I imagine with the opera 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 singers is that when you're wearing a mask you can't emote or convey to the audience every single syllable 
because it, it's so crucial in that way. And when you have 12 feet, however many feet from the person you're supposed to be having this intimate relationship with, how do you overcome that? How do you keep the relationship there and keep the audience engaged with your face when they can't see it? <laughs> that, that was like one of the hardest things. And especially for the character that I was playing, like the spirits have no personality, like unless you really dive deep and make a personality for them, but you have to, everyone has to be on the same page if you're going to do that. So that was difficult because there were so many different people playing the spirits. It wasn't just, I mean, it ended up being the same pretty much the same people every night because there were some sick sicknesses or COVID issues. Um, but it was, it was definitely difficult. So trying to emote one as a spirit already is difficult. And then you add a mask on top of that. And it's like, it was incredibly difficult for me. I don't know. Lily definitely, her character had a lot more pizzazz and flair. So I don't know if she felt the same way, but. So I kind of thought of it, it reminded me of some of the historical beginnings of theater I I thought of it similar to how Greek plays were where you had to be absolutely ridiculous with your movements and I think I'm correct in saying that they had masks on too for uh, Greek plays to kind of convey the characters so I was almost brought back to that time and you're right. This is a romance. It is It is a romance, not just between two people. It's a romance. There's multiple couples. The three ladies, um, actually, at the beginning of the opera, they're fawning over Tamino, and we can't touch him, and we can't get within uh, 12 feet of him when we're singing. One thing that made things a lot easier is we were able to get within six feet of them when we weren't singing, but even six feet, you can't touch someone at six feet. And this is all we can do right now. It played well because this is a comedy. That's the other thing. I think if we were trying to play a more serious opera, it would not be nearly as seamless as it was. It worked really well from what I watched. And it is kind of ironic that Mozart is one of those composers who did die of an illness. So, you know, it's it's... It's this personification of something so historic and done a million times, but in this context, in a pandemic, in this future that Mozart couldn't have imagined in the first place and didn't really have the best end of, <laughs> at least in our uh, discrepancies in this entire situation. So I appreciated those moments of not comedic relief, but just contextualized chaos <laughs> in a way but uh yeah I mean was there a point where you guys were just looking at the cards looking at what the um COVID people were telling you and just thought this show can't happen like it's is this even going to premiere um yes there was a few instances of that so the first instance was we didn't actually know what the protocol was going to be, how many people we were allowed to have in the room, or if we even had the room for, Lauren, wasn't it just a couple months before the actual performance? Like, we didn't actually know. If we were going to have Gates booked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Gates, uh, 
while I think is its own separate performance space, it's not a f- completely affiliated with Lamont. I think Lamont actually rents it. Um, so Lamont was renting um, the space for rehearsals, not just shows, but they l- were doing literally every performance, most, you know, not, I don't want to say any recitals because I'm not 100% sure, but most performances and rehearsals were happening in Gates. So because of that, it was so congested that they couldn't promise us the space until, yeah, up until like a month or two before. And that went for also for choir too. Um, Dr. Saylor was like, I don't know what day we're actually going to sing. So just make sure you have the last two weeks of the quarter just spaced out so you can still sing. It, it even went as far as we didn't know how many chorus members we could have in the production. And luckily, we were able to have more than we thought, but it was still wild. So that that was the first problem that we had. The second problem that we had is once our orchestra rehearsal started, there was a COVID scare in the cello studio, and every single cellist except for one was gone. And so we just had one cellist perform and she even mentioned that she wasn't or she initially wasn't going to perform all the nights. And then she was like, well, I'm the only cellist, so I'm going to perform all of the nights. So we almost didn't have cellos. And the last one was we had a covid we had a covid case in our actual department. One of the people in the cast had covid. Luckily, they recovered very quickly and everything was okay and because of the um because of the safety protocols that we have this person didn't spread it to anyone so no one was infected by them everyone stayed safe and everything was really good but there was still that moment of not knowing if they were going to be able to perform in the actual production it, it was terrifying you know and it was very it it genuinely was up until the actual performance it could have been taken away at any point without any notice whatsoever. Yeah, and I know for a lot of the way that they casted most of the roles is that there were, it was doubled um, or even tripled. I know Pamina, there were three women singing the, the part of Pamina. Um, so that was really fortunate so that if there was someone that was sick, um, someone else could step in. And I know there were a few cast members that unfortunately were not, were not sick, but they were exposed so they weren't actually able to perform at all because we had one weekend and it just wouldn't work out for them. But fortunately for those parts, it was, they had cover, or not covers, well, yes, there were covers, but then there were also double cast members that could perform in their place. But there was one role that was the most important role and honestly, just the best role. I think one of the roles that My favorite. most audience members look forward to seeing um, that didn't have didn't have an understudy didn't have a double cast, and that was the role of Papageno, um, played by Justin Given. He did a great job on that role. But he was talking to me, he was saying, I have so much power. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I could just decide not to sing, and then there would be no opera. Or I could just go and get myself sick, and there would be no opera. And he was right. Like, if he got sick, there would be no opera. I mean, maybe we could do scenes from the Magic Flute, but He's in so many scenes and so many important uh, songs and and duets and quintets that are, you know, recognizable. Um, I'm trying to think of the word, but like... Iconic. um, Iconic for the Magic Flute. So 
thankfully that didn't happen. <laughs> he was able to sing everyone, every show. Um, so that was really great. But yeah, that was one. And also Zarastro was another character that wasn't understudied and wasn't double casted. Um, and he ended up getting, he was missing for a rehearsal, but it was because of his second dose. So he was, yep. he didn't come to a rehearsal and we were like, oh my God, that's another role that we have to worry about and hope that they can make it to the, to the show. But, but yeah, super fun. <laughs> yeah. That's so chaotic. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Just especially when you're putting so much work a- into something that is so important, not only to the cast, but to the community as well, after a year of not having anything like this. And I mean, I just, I just want to know what the audience situation was like. Was there an audience? Was it all virtual or, you know? It was, in, it was entirely virtual. Um, and uh, that was really weird. Um, and it, at first it was really weird, like at the beginning of the year when we were doing smaller performances for various things, it was weird to sing and have there be dead silence. Um, but you ended up kind of getting used to it. And then we had to record, we did bows because of our, 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 our um, 45 minute time limit in the room. We decided to pre-record the bows so that we could just paste them at the end um, instead of having to wait 15 minutes and then come back and do bows because who's going to, you know, that's just weird. Um, but the pit ended up sitting in the um, house and watching the bows. We asked them to stay and to applaud. To clap. <laughs> yeah, and it was so sweet. They were so supportive. And um, it also was like such a weird feeling at that point by the end of the year to, to get applause. Um, but it was super rewarding and... and um, and I don't know, just a really, it was really nice. It was, even though it wasn't a real audience and it was just kind of, you know, the pit just clapping because we asked them to, it was still, it was still a really nice, nice feeling to hear an applause at the end. I actually have a fun Easter egg. If you watch the Saturday night performance, uh, when Zarastro comes out and bows at the end, that's actually our director, uh, Matthew Plank because Oliver was sick or Oliver was uh, recovering from his second COVID shot that day and so <laughs> Matt puts on the uh, the actual like the wig and the coat and everything it's hilarious and we were all just like cracking up if you look carefully you can see all of us laughing while he is out on stage but one of my favorite things about performing is receiving energy from the audience and I think all musicians feel that way. You know, that's why we perform live is to receive that energy, whether whether they're clapping, whether it's just them responding. You know, as an actress, the way that I know things work is if I get laughter or if I get applause or any sort of reaction. And then I know that that's correct and I know that that's working. And I, I genuinely believe that that is the only way you can truly get feedback and the only way you can truly learn how to have stage presence is by paying attention to the audience and having that honest feedback mm-hmm. because just getting notes is wonderful but at the same time you need to know what you're doing is working you know we still got feedback because we were live streaming it on YouTube so you could just pull it up on your phone and like look at all the comments and everyone was so kind and really supportive and That was one thing that was kind of good was anyone could watch it. And, you know, 
Sarah, even you were able to watch it. You, you know, you, you know exactly what we're talking about because we have that recording. And now that's just something that we have, which I think is really powerful. But at the same time, it's not live anymore. It's not the same energy that you get from a live performance. Yeah, I completely know what you're talking about. Um, my brother is also in the performance industry. He is a jazz guitarist. And, you know, with specific genres and niches of music, you, you know, it, it's nice to see it, but there's an energy when you're hearing someone, like, belt on stage and when you're hearing a group on, like, in a jazz combo just mesh together perfectly. And it's, it makes you feel like you are just somewhere and someone, kind of, in my opinion. And that's what I miss most about being an audience member and being around other audience members because it's like this communal like wave of appreciation and connection. And I love that um, virtual recordings and everything makes it accessible for people who can't always be there, but I cannot wait to get back to audiences and stages. It's what I want to be in music for which I imagine you two also feel so yeah yeah um I guess to wrap up is there anything you guys are looking forward to most for future endeavors I I know Lily you're are you done at Lamont or yeah okay so <laughs> so I mean if you could just tell us about what you're excited for in the next year and if you think it's gonna actually happen <laughs> I would appreciate hearing that. So during the pandemic, I've found a lot of success in podcasting and in pre-recorded things. I actually, my master's recital was in the form of a podcast, of course, and it was really fun and really interesting. And, you know, it takes this idea of a live performance and turns it into something that anyone can have at any point and one of the biggest things that I had to do was alter it a little bit so that it was easier to be a pre-recorded thing. It wasn't just me doing a live performance and then just showing it to someone. It was made to be pre-recorded. And so I actually really enjoy that format and I would really like to continue experience, experimenting with that type of uh, format. I also would love to continue performing live. I'm per- I'm auditioning for... Uh, different small local companies. And, you know, I I really want to continue to be on stage because that's where I truly feel at home, if anything, is, you know, just right there in front of the audience. You just get all of the energy. And I've never had a day of stage fright in my life because that's where I'm supposed to be. And I'm really excited to go back to that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to never having to sing in a mask again. Um, that really sucks. <laughs> that too. <laughs> and I have a feeling, you know, I know DU said that they're planning to be maskless in the fall, um, but I have a feeling we're going to bring back the masks again for a very good reason. I mean, I would rather everyone's safety over me just being uncomfortable in a mask any day. So, um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to hopefully, hopefully by the end of the year, you know, we get to the final um, spring performance and I don't have to wear a mask. That would be amazing. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to a lot of the 
upcoming shows and just kind of like the optimistic feeling that I think a lot of people are having for this upcoming school year. Thank you guys so much for sharing all this information with me. It makes me excited to come to Lamont in the fall. <laughs> it makes me really excited to look more into all the upcoming opera performances there and everything about um, all the COVID processes that you guys went through. It's so fascinating to me and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate the show even more now that they know how painful it was putting it all together. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Please keep a lookout in the next couple weeks for another episode of The Rose Room. <laughs>